as we turn to Revelation chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. After this, this is uh, Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have revealed who You are through Your Word. And so I pray a a blessing on your word this morning. Let it not be my words this morning, God, but I pray that it would be your words that we hear and that you would speak to us directly today. Let this time be carved out in all of history that we can listen in on you. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, we do continue in this apocalyptic genre that we've been in in the past two Sundays. And uh, it gets a little tough. I don't know if you've ever read Revelation, but uh, not easy. In, prepar- in preparing, I went and I read it again, and I was like, man, this is just some wild stuff that happens. And so, as, as Marshall has, uh, has told us even last week and the week before, you know, we can get caught up a lot in, in the, it looks like this, and it looks like that, but the end of all things is Jesus. And that gives us comfort this morning because it really, as we go through all these things and as we we read a lot of what's happened in Revelation, don't forget the end is the face of Jesus Christ. It's Him. And so that gives me comfort this morning. So um, whenever I'm sort of thinking about a subject, I always like to look where we've been. So a little bit of a recap. Um, Chapter 1, well, John is the one who wrote Revelation. Remember, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. He is exiled to Patmos. So it's an island. And it's on this island that God shows him a little bit of a glimpse of the things to come. So in chapter 1, very interesting, you remember that John meets the risen Jesus, the glorified Jesus. And if you remember, 
he falls at his feet as if he were dead. You remember this? And so you think about it, John was with Jesus for three years, and he, he knew the guy. I mean, you're with somebody pretty much night and day for a while, you know him. But when Jesus comes on the scene and shows himself to John here, John falls at his feet as if he's dead. Because this is, this is Jesus triumphant that he sees, okay? And so then in chapters 2 and 3, we get the letters to the churches. And then chapter 4, as Marshall preached about last week, is the throne room of God. He sees the throne of God and him sitting on the throne. And you remember there is a scroll there as well. And, you know, I started really thinking about this, this throne scene. And one of my favorite Old Testament passages deals with this idea of God on the throne. And several guys throughout history have gotten a glimpse of this throne room scene. If you remember some of them, it's Ezekiel, Daniel, Moses almost got a little bit of a glimpse on Sinai, and Isaiah gets a glimpse as well. And if you remember Ezekiel's account, I just want to point it out because it's, it really is really neat. If you ever read chapter 1 of Ezekiel, he's sitting there by the brook, and he's in Babylon. He's already been exiled, taken from his land, and he has nothing. And he was supposed to be a priest he was 30 years old, and he's sitting there, he's probably, you know, bummed out. And he looks, and this great storm is coming, lightning everywhere. At first, he's probably thinking, man, that looks, that looks a little rough, you know. Sometimes we see those things around here. And, but then it sort of changes. He starts seeing four living creatures. They have four faces. They all have four wings, and they're all holding their wings out. Side by side, touching, making a square. And they are on fire. And there's four wheels under them. And it's a wheel within a wheel. And, and lightning is shooting out everywhere. So, I mean, this is like, this is terrifying to him. And so he gets this picture of this huge storm cloud and, and these living beings and fire everywhere. And on top of these beings is an expanse. He says it looks like almost crystal, because he can't really describe it. And on that is a throne. And the one seated on the throne, he says it looks like burning metal. I don't know if you're, for you science people out there, but if you've ever seen magnesium burn, has anybody ever seen magnesium burn? There's a few of you, yeah, a few engineers. Um, really bright white light. And that's, that's as much as Ezekiel can describe it as. He, said, he can't even look at the figure because there's so much white light there. And I can't help but think that sometimes we view God too flippantly. That we, we just sort of, you know, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. That's not the scene that these people in the Bible get when they truly see who God is. They all, it's all the same. They fall down as if literally they're dead. And so I think sometimes we don't have the right approach to God because God is other than we are. And there's a word for that, and it's holy. God is holy. And so I want to share with you something that God had been teaching me recently. And um, it sort of it involves the sun. Now, Marshall and his family, they're at the beach. And uh, they're down there now. Um, and yes, the pastor does get a vacation, okay? 
I don't see everyone here every Sunday, so you all get vacations. Pastor gets vacation too. Uh, but they're down there, and you, let me give you a little scenario. What if Mars is supposed to be bright and sunny? No lot of cloud in the sky down there. Say he gets out of there at 6 a.m. Like, man, I love it out here. He said, I love the sun. Doesn't get in the shade at all. No sunscreen. Wearing the short shorts because that's what's in style now. And what if he stays at like 7 p.m. at night? Out in the blazing sun. What's going to happen? Well, I tell you, man, it's going to be burned. <laughs> I don't know if you ever had a bad sunburn, but I have. Uh, and I've actually seen some kids in the emergency department that have been literally blistered by the sun. Come in in what we call sun poisoning. They're dehydrated and nauseous and all this kind of stuff just because the sun. Now, let me propose a question. Is the sun then evil? And the answer is no. The sun's not evil. We just approach the sun the wrong way. I mean, there's a healthy respect that we have to have for the sun because if not, we're going to get burned. And interestingly, if you, if you look at God, is he not infinitely more powerful than our sun and our solar system? So there is a way that we have to approach God. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the law. And that's the purpose of the law is to approach God correctly. And the law was never meant to save. It was meant as a way to get to God. And it's God who saves. But that's what the law was there for, is so that we can approach this holy, fire-consuming God correctly. And so... How do then we approach this God? And we'll get to that here in a minute. But let's keep going on. So Daniel also sees a vision of the Lord on his throne. And he describes it as this. The Ancient of Days takes his seat. His clothing was white as snow, hair like pure wool, throne of fiery flames, wheels burning. Very similar, huh? And streams of fire coming out. Thousands served him, ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him, and the books were open. Sort of reminds you of chapter five because there was a scroll talking about the books. You remember? So as a still a little bit of a recap, you know, you got the throne room scene in chapter four of Revelation. John's there, he's seeing it, and then there's a scroll. Seven seals. No one can open it. Now this is a scroll that really contains all of history, all of time, everything. And John begins to weep, and then he says, hey, 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 there's somebody that can't open it. And he sees one standing that looks like a lamb that has been killed, but standing. He says, he can open the scrolls. And then in chapter 6, as we saw last week, one by one, the seals begin to break. Boom, one, two, three, four, five, six. And then John doesn't give us the seventh seal in chapter 7, which would be, I I thought it would be very appropriate, you know. Seven is the number of perfection throughout Revelation. But instead, he gives us a little something else, almost an interlude here. And he gives us sort of two visions. Now, we read the second vision. If you read the whole chapter 7, the first vision is he sees these angels flying. They're holding back destruction on the earth. And John hears about 144,000 Jews being saved, okay? And then he numbers them out of the tribes. Well, then the second vision that we get in chapter 7 is what we read, 
All right, it's almost this blissful description of heaven. All right, and so we have two visions, and there's are two multitudes. Now, in the first vision, it's it's a very numbered and ordered. So it's 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. He's very boom, 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 boom. The second vision, as we read, he sees a people innumerable, vast, can't be counted. The first vision are Jews only. The second vision, if you remember, you caught it, all tribes, all nations, all languages. And so you, you sort of look at both of these, and it, the first one really sort of reminds you of the saints of old, does it not? I mean, all those who died in faith, not having received the promise before Jesus comes. And then when Jesus comes, he inaugurates a new way. And that's really what we see in the second vision is the church triumphant. And John gets to see it. And interestingly, a lot of people believe that this is us. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's the innumerable vast of people that he sees that day. And John saw it. Can you imagine being there, seeing that? And that is us, the church, triumphant of all languages, all tribes, all nations. And I think that, that's pretty awesome. I, I, I was sort of studying that, and I was like, man, can you imagine what it would have been like to have been John on this island? And, and nobody to tell it to right then, you know. You're looking around, you got nothing. And he, he sees all this, that God is just unfolding before him. And the next thing is, and I really like this, is God gives John a little bit of a glimpse of what heavenly worship looks like. You know, we sort of have a liturgy here. You know, we have the reading of the word. We have the singing. We have the kids come down. And, it, and it's sort of ordered. And what, what God lets John see, he sort of peels it back a little bit. And he says, hey, look at this. And it's almost an angelic worship service here. And so if you called it, we've actually already read it this morning when Crystal was doing the readings, is this angelic doxology. And it started with amen. Do you remember that part? And it ended in amen. Now in the Greek, the definite article comes before, and so it actually is supposed to be the before each word. So he says, amen, the blessing, the glory, the wisdom, the thanksgiving, the honor, the power, the might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And this is, uh, I, just, I just see that God is saying, hey, you know, angels, we even have a liturgy for our worship. We have chants that we say, and, and he lets John see this. And that is, I just found that really fascinating that God, he, although terrifying because of the throne, you see this guy on the throne and fire's going everywhere. He gives us a glimpse of it and says, come. And so, the, the, really the last part of chapter 7 here gives us, a, gives us really hope. And John sort of offers sort of two descriptions of this sort of blissful heaven. And one is sort of negative, is approached negatively, and the other positive. Because look with me again chapter 7, verse 16, and says, They shall hunger no more, 
neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them into springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, being a, you know, I don't know if everybody knows, but I, I'm a doctor. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher at all. Okay. <laughs> My brother just asked me to fill in, but, but being a doctor, I see a lot of suffering and pain. I see a lot of disability. I see a lot of things that really breaks your heart, you know, kids with deformities, and it really weighs on you sometimes, you know, and we get a picture here that John says, you know what, the things that, that really ail us are going to be gone. He says, you know, all that stuff that really the suffering, the pain, anxiety, sorrow, all these things are going to be eliminated. He's going to wipe away every tear. So everyone has been touched somehow by sorrow, death, pain. Almost everybody has. And so we look for a day and we long for it. That's why we a lot of times go watch movies, you know, that have a happy ending. Because we want a happy ending. Well, I'm telling you, there is a happy ending, and that's heaven. And that can be us. Because God one day will wipe away all these things that ail us. I'll be out of a job, which is, which is pretty cool. I'm, ha- I'm happy about that. That'll be awesome. And on the positive side, it, it's interesting. If you caught it, it says that the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And isn't that a reversal? Because usually the lamb doesn't lead other lambs. But here, God, the son, the lamb who went to the cross for us, the one slain, now becomes a shepherd. He is the one that assumes all power. And I tell you, it says also that he's going to give us springs of living water. And I'm excited about that because that just really washes away all the filth and all the garbage of this world. Does anybody want evil removed? I mean, I do. You know, I tell you, you look around and it's just, People arguing, people bickering, complaining, killing each other, hating each other. And that's not how humanity was meant to run. We did that to ourselves, but God, out of his great love for us, has started this whole process of a reversal. And it started with a baby. It started with a mother. All the way in Bethlehem. And Jesus became that lamb, that has now started what we really call a great reversal. The lamb has become the shepherd. And what's awesome is because God, through death, does this, he makes all things new. He makes all wrongs right. And about that evil, gone. Eliminated. Annihilated. Decimated. I looked up all these synonyms for this, and I was just like, man, I got really excited one day when I was doing this, because I was, I was like, man, I'm going to put all these in there. I said, well, I probably won't need to do that. But, um, but it's God, through his great son, has made this reversal process. And it almost seems counterintuitive, because he says, to gain life, 
you have to give it up. Anyone who wants to follow after me, take up your cross and follow me. Go die. Because when you die, you find that there is life. And that's the great reversal. It's, it's not what you would normally think. It's not what the world says. The world says, you know what? Make your name known. Publish articles. Get out there. Make a name for yourself. Get wealth, because that's going to make you happy. Get power, because that's going to fulfill you. It doesn't. Look at all of human history. Look at all the guys who made it and what has happened. A lot of times their lives are ruined. So what is the way then? So we go back to our question. How should we then approach this God seated on the throne that he's so bright that we can't even look at him? And it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. That's the only way. John 14, 6, you'll you'll know this passage. It says that Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you want to get before the throne? It's through Jesus Christ. And interestingly, he calls us into this life. So if you remember Moses, he had led the children of Israel out. They're out in the desert. And God says, I want you to go to Mount Sinai. Now we know a little bit about the significance of Mount Sinai, but Moses didn't at the time, neither did the children of Israel. But God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you at Mount Sinai. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And God says to Moses, he says, prepare the people. You've got three days, purify yourself. Meet me at the base of the mountain. And so all of Israel comes and it says that a cloud with lightning and fire descended on the mountain. And the mountain looked like it literally was on fire before the children of Israel. And God spoke to the children of Israel there. It was terrifying. And they actually told Moses, said, don't ever let God speak to us again. You need to go on the mountain for us. But interestingly, God calls Moses into that fire. He says, Moses, I want to talk to you up here. And that call goes out this morning. Because even though God is this center of reality, He is the beginning of all things, the origin. That's what John is seeing here. This throne room is so bright. And God says, I want you to come near. I want you to come near. I know it's dangerous. And it's actually going to cost you your life but I want you to come near. And it's through Jesus Christ that we do that. So the call goes out this morning. And one thing I want to point out in the scripture as well is go back to verse 14 with me. It says, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John always likes this contrast. If you read Revelation, there's a lot of contrast there. How can you make anything white by blood? But here you can. Because this is a purifying process. And so, John sees in the future. He sees this innumerable crowd. Question is, is are you there? Does he see you? Because this is the future. And those that have chosen Christ are going to be there saying this angelic liturgy. 
And just so does he see you there. If he doesn't, he can. It can happen today. And so as we approach this God, let us do it the right way through Jesus Christ. He is our lamb. He is our way. And so I sort of want to end this service. This one's a little bit shorter than what Marshall usually does, I think. But I want to end it by bringing up that angelic liturgy one more time. Because if, if John saw this and we're going to be there, we might as well prepare ourselves. And we might as well know this. And so I want us to say this twice together, okay? So join with me. Amen. The blessing, the glory, the wisdom, the thanksgiving, the honor, the power, the might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The blessing, the glory, the wisdom, the thanksgiving, the honor, the power, the might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Rachel, as you come this morning...